right, we'll open your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 3. Can we do that, Ephesians chapter 3? I uh, debated this afternoon about, uh, because I, I know that uh, tonight is the college uh, playoff championship game. I know all of that, and so I really thought about maybe texting the preacher and um, just telling him, hey, why don't you take the offering at the very beginning of the service and tell the folks that they have their choice of three sermons tonight. Tell them that for $1,000, they could have a sermon that lasts five minutes. For $500, they could have a sermon that lasts 15 minutes. And for $100, they could have a sermon that lasts a full hour. And then I got to thinking, well, after yesterday's two sermons, you may be thinking $100 for, for a sermon that only lasts an hour. That might be a pretty good bargain. But I promise I'll, uh, I'll try to do better tonight. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand and follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 14, uh, which begins a prayer that Paul prayed for his friends in the church at Ephesus. This passage is actually the second prayer recorded in Ephesians, the first one being in chapter 1. But let's, let's begin reading in verse 14. For this cause, Paul writes, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If we were to go back and break down Paul's prayer, we could do it like this. Paul prayed for the Ephesians to be strengthened by the Spirit of God, to be indwelt by the Son of God, and to understand the love of God. And then when, when we come to verse 20, I don't know, it, it, it's like Paul is overwhelmed with with thoughts of how capable God is of doing everything that he just prayed and more, so much more. I'm telling you, Paul's concept of God 
was huge. Author Philip Yancey tells of a time when his pastor decided to pull a vacation surprise on his four children by telling them that they were going to Junction City, Kansas on vacation. Anybody here ever been to Junction City, Kansas? Any army people? Home of Fort Riley, the big red one. All right, so we've got some folks there. Fort Riley, listen, you would really appreciate this story more if you'd ever been to Junction City, Kansas. I'm telling you, it is not a vacation destination. But his, his, the reason that his pastor told his children that is because his father used to pastor a church there. And he, he told his kids that, that they would, would have so much fun there. And, but here's the catch. He only planned to be there for one afternoon, and then they were going to drive to Disney World. And so all during the drive from Denver to Junction City, Yancey's pastor kept the kids' morale up by describing the wonders that were awaiting them. Playgrounds, a swimming pool, an ice cream stand, maybe even a bowling alley. So they arrived there that afternoon and after touring their Grandpa's old church, the kids were ready to check into a hotel and, and go swimming when their, their dad dropped the bombshell. He said, you know something? He said, it's kind of boring here in Kansas. Why don't we just drive to Disney World? Of course, he, dad expected his kids to jump up and down and, and, and be all kinds of excited about that. But instead, they began to complain. We don't want to get back in the van. What about the swimming pool? You promised. I thought we were going to get to go bowling. And so the great surprise had backfired. And for the next few hours, Yancey's pastor sat behind the steering wheel and smoldered as his children talked about the advantages of Junction City, Kansas over Disney World. Now, here's, here's the point that I want to make tonight. Sometimes our idea of God and thus our praying is just too small. We are just fine praying, if you will, for a merry-go-round in Junction City, Kansas, when God is more than able and willing to give us the best that Disney World has to offer. The great D.L. Moody is credited with saying, we honor God when we ask for great things. It is a humiliating thing 
that we are satisfied with such small results. And I like these words from Philip Brooks who said, and it's probably my, my favorite quote when it comes to prayer. Philip Brooks said, pray the largest prayers. He said, you cannot think a prayer so large that in answering it, God would not wish that you prayed larger. And every time I think of that quote, I get this picture in my mind. I'm down here and I'm praying and I'm asking God for something that to me is really, really big and God is up in heaven and he's looking down at me and he's saying, is that all you got? Pray the largest prayers. What I hope to do tonight with the Lord's help is enlarge your concept of who God is and what he can do in hopes that you will join me tonight in praying the largest prayers. I have no doubt but that your pastor and his team have big plans to present to you next Sunday. And I'm all for planning and preparing and prepping and casting vision. Listen, I'm all about that. I, I did that for many, many years at Fellowship Baptist Church in liberal Kansas. But listen to me tonight. God can do more in response to one prayer than we can do with 100 years of planning. So here's my first encouragement tonight. We pray to a God who is able. I want you to listen to the words that Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 27 that are recorded there. Behold, God speaking said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer tonight, church, is what? No, there is nothing too hard for God. In every situation, in every trial, in every temptation, in every problem, God is able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found God to be able. You may remember this story in the book of Daniel when, when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, built an idol that was 90 feet tall and 90 feet wide and commanded everyone in the, the kingdom to bow down and worship that idol when they heard the music. And everyone did, except for the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused. Well, word got back to the king that those three did not bow down and worship the idol as they were commanded to. And the king was furious. And in his rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And in essence, the king was willing to give them one more chance. But if they didn't bow down this time, he said that they were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And to that, he added the question, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And I love their response. 
Here it is. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, let's stop there for a, for a moment so I can point something out to you. These three Hebrews did not, listen, they did not presume that God would deliver them. But they knew that he could deliver them if he chose to. And I, I say that tonight because I, I don't want you to presume that God will do the big thing that you ask him to do. I'm not preaching some, some health and wealth gospel, some blab it and grab it gospel tonight. I'm not saying that God will do everything you ask him to do. So please do not go out of here and say, well, Brother Prater said, if I pray this, God will do this. No, no, we should never presume that God will do everything we ask him to do. But we should certainly pray with the knowledge and understanding that he can do what we ask him to do if he chooses. Now, the response did not sit well at all with the king and he had the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal and then he had Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown in and if you you know the story they just sung about it a moment ago if you know the story you know that God showed up and he proved that he was able just like they said And I love this on a day that was designed to bring honor and glory to the false god of Nebuchadnezzar. It ended up being a day in which the God who is able was glorified. So what does that story tell us tonight? It it tells us simply this, God is able Church, in our worst problem, God is able. In our darkest hour, God is able. In our deepest hurt, God is able. In our greatest struggle, God is able. On our longest day, God is able. In our most complicated situation, God is able. God is able to restore a wayward child. God is able to rebuild a broken relationship. God is able to rescue from addiction. God's grace is able to reach even the worst sinner. So whatever has you angry tonight or anxious or fearful or discouraged, remember the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God whom we serve is able. We not only pray to a God who is able, we pray to a God who is more than able. There's this right here in the text. It's great that God is able. But it's better that he's more than able. In other words, if somebody once said, God is not the God of barely enough, he's the God of more than enough. Now unto him that is able 
to do exceeding, abundant, above all that we ask or think. The problem when it comes to our prayers is not God. The problem is us. As C.S. Lewis said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. And we're far too easily pleased. I know tonight that you are familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which was really more accurately probably the feeding of the 20 or 25,000 by the time you add women and children. Anyway, as the story goes, Jesus used a little kid's lunch of five little fish and two pieces of flatbread to feed that entire crowd. God was able. But he wasn't just able, was he? He was more than able because there was food left over. Listen to me tonight. God delights in doing more than we ask or could even think. What about the story of Lazarus? Jesus purposely did not come to his house to heal him. Right? John chapter 11. As a matter of fact, he didn't show up until his friend had been dead. How many days? Four days. He'd been dead four days. Now, how many of you believe tonight that God could have just, that, that Jesus could have just spoke the word from where he was when he heard that his friend was sick and Lazarus would have been healed immediately. How many of you believe that? Where, from wherever he was, they came to him. They, he, he, he got the news. Your friend Lazarus is sick. Listen, I believe with all my heart, as obviously many of you do, that Jesus could have just spoke the word right then and right there and Lazarus would have been healed. We know that he could have because he did it on, on, on at least three different other occasions in his ministry. He did it with the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He did it with the centurion's servant. He did it with the Capernaum official's son. He didn't have to go to where they were. He stood right where he was when he got the news and he spoke the word and those people were healed. And I'm telling you tonight, God, Jesus is able. He could have done the very same thing with Lazarus, his friend. But why didn't he? Why did Jesus choose to do something different on this occasion when on three other occasions he did it for people that he wasn't even close to? And now you've got his friend and he's not willing to do the same thing. Well, if you want the real scoop, you're going to have to ask him when you get to heaven. But here's my thought for what it's worth. And I think we see this revealed in, in his, his words after Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
I think it was because for the glory of the Father, he wanted to do the exceedingly abundant thing beyond what anyone could have asked or thought. I submit to you tonight that God is greater than our minds can conceive. Now, I want you to help me with something. I want you to make two fists like this. Now, I want you to put those together like this. They say that this is the size of our brains. I know what some of you ladies are thinking. I knew it. I knew it. Reserve your judgment. I'm talking about all of our brains, not just men's brains, okay? They say that this is, is, is the, the, the size of, of, of our brains. And so it only stands to reason <laughs> that we would have such a difficult time with a brain this small comprehending a God as big as our God. But aren't you glad tonight that this doesn't contain all there is to God. <laughs> Aren't you glad tonight that our God is so much bigger than this? Well, if we know that, then why don't we pray like it? We pray so many times. Like God is, is all right here. That this is all there is. And that he can't do anything more than this. I love this quote by Van Sabner. He said, too many times we miss so much because we live on the low level of the natural, the ordinary, the explainable. We leave no room for God to do the exceeding abundant thing above all that we can ask or think. Andrew Murray once said, beware, beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God, not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things above all that we ask or think. Church, we need to quit limiting God by confining him to just what we have faith enough to believe in. What we need to do tonight is what the disciples did. And they need to, we need to ask God to increase our faith. Ask him to help our unbelief. Let him out of the, the little box that you have him in and just let God be God in your prayer life. 
We pray, Paul says, to a God who is able. We pray to a God who is more than able. And then finally, we pray to a God who is worthy of glory. One real danger in this whole thing of praying big prayers and seeing God do big things is that in the end, we take the glory for it. Because after all, it it was our prayer that did it, right? (laughs) Wrong. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 115 and verse 1, he said, not unto us, O God, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Listen, folks, if all we're interested in is our glory, then God's not going to do anything big in our life. And I'll tell you why. Because God is not interested in glorifying us. God's not interested in making us look good. God's not interested in bringing us glory. God is interested in glorifying his son. So when he does that exceeding, abundant thing, above all that that you could have asked or even thought, Give him glory. There's a story that illustrates what I have tried to convey to you tonight. It's probably more folklore than than, than a, a real life story, something that actually happened. But it makes the point nonetheless. And if you've heard this story, please don't stop me because I want to hear it again. As the story goes, there was a world-famous professional golfer who was invited to play golf in Saudi Arabia. And apparently the the king was so impressed by his golf game that he said to him, I would like to give you a gift of appreciation. And he really didn't just make a statement. It was really pretty much an, an, an insistence. Like, I am going to give you a gift. And he insisted that the golfer name the gift. I mean, he put this guy on the spot, and after thinking for a a, a few seconds, the only thing he could come up with, the only thing that, that, that came to his mind was a golf club. And so he said, well, how about a golf club? He thought, well, maybe it'd be like gold-plated, maybe some jewels in the, in the grip area, whatever. He didn't know. It's the only thing he could think of. And, and 
So they went their way. A few days after that, there came a knock at his hotel door. And when he opened the door, there was the, a representative of the king. And he said, here's your gift. And he held out a little brown canvas bag. <laughs> the guy thought, man, this is going to be a small golf club. And he unzips it, and he looks inside, and there's a piece of paper. And so he pulls out the piece of paper, and it's a deed. A deed to a golf club. As in the hundreds of acres that made up the golf club that the king had just given him. And the moral to that story tonight is simply this. In the presence of a great king, don't ask for small gifts. In the presence of a great king, don't ask for small gifts. Now, I want to ask you a question tonight. What's the biggest thing God could do in your life right now? Think about it. What's the biggest thing that God could do in your life right now? For some of you, it may be to save someone you love. I got saved in 1976. And I immediately began praying for my alcoholic parents. Knowing what I knew then, I knew that if my mom and dad died, they'd go to hell. And that broke my heart. I could not bear the thought. And so every service, every service, I would make my way to the altar. And I would beg and plead with God to save my mom and dad. That was in 1976. At that point in my life, that was the biggest thing God could do. In 1989, it was Sunday morning. It was a revival at Fellowship Baptist Church. There was just something special about that day. And preacher, you probably had services like that. You just knew from the time you got up in the morning, from the time you walked in the building, you just sensed that God was going to do something. And that day was one of those days. I didn't know what he was going to do. I just... It was, I mean, the, the atmosphere was just filled with anticipation. It was incredible. And at the end of that service, I went to the altar. And I'm not ashamed to tell you tonight, as I stand here, I literally begged God. My mom was there that day. And I literally, 
Whatever, whatever comes to your mind when you think of the, the, the phrase, somebody begging God, that's exactly what I was doing. And I was down there praying, and my pastor was up here leading the invitation, and I remember as I was crying and weeping and begging and crying out to God, I heard him say, this is the last verse. And I remember praying verbatim. In 1989, that Sunday morning, verbatim, I prayed, God, please, when I get up from the altar, let my mom be here. And I no sooner got those words out of my mouth, and I felt an arm around my shoulder, and I looked, and it was my sister-in-law, Ginger, and she said, look who's here. And it was my mom. Thirteen years after I got saved. After praying 13 years, my mom got saved. Fast forward to 2001. Mom's in heaven at this point. It's just my dad. His health is bad. Life of drinking and smoking, partying, carrying on is caught up with him. He was in the hospital. It was in June. And uh, we didn't think he was going to get out, honestly, but he did. So I picked him up at the, at the hospital and drove him 10 miles to the little town that I grew up in. And before he got out of, the, out of my vehicle, I said, Dad, I want to talk to you just a minute. And I shared the gospel with my dad again. I'd shared the gospel with my dad a lot. He was never rude. He was, he was never belligerent. He was never, uh, never mean. Uh, his answer was, was usually the same. No, not right now. So I shared the gospel with my dad that day. And I said, Dad, you're not ready to die. You're not saved. And I said, do you want to be saved? He said, no, not right now. Fast forward to the next month, family had visited our church. Katie and I scheduled a follow-up visit with them, and I said, let's, you go, let's just go early. We'll grab a hamburger and some fries. We'll take it over to Dad's, and we'll eat, we'll eat with Dad. So we did. And um, when we finished eating, it was, it, now God didn't talk to me audibly. He didn't send me a text message or anything. But he told me, he said, you need to talk to your dad again. And so I went out into my vehicle and I got my, I got my, my, my little New Testament. By the time I got back in the house, Katie had the table all cleared off. I sat my Bible down on the table and I said, Dad, do you remember what we talked about last month? And preacher, my dad looked at me and he said, I sure do. Let's get her done. My dad was a truck driver his whole life. He said, let's get her done. And that night, I, I went over the gospel one more time. And that night at his kitchen table, my dad humbled his heart and bowed his head and prayed. He said, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
just like a lot of other people out there. But we're talking about me right now. And then he went on to pray and ask the Lord to forgive him and ask God to save him. <laughs> and at the end of the end of his prayer, he said, Well, God, I guess that's it for now. Kind of like, see you on the flip side, good buddy. And for only the second time in my life, I saw my dad cry. And he didn't just cry. His shoulders heaved and he wept. And I am absolutely convinced that when he, when he got into his house the month before, I am absolutely convinced he said that if my son ever asked me again, I'm going to say yes. And I ask again. And he said yes. And that's the greatest thing God could do for some of you tonight. Is to save someone you love. For others, it's to heal someone who's sick. There may be a mom and or dad here, or grandma, or grandpa here. And the greatest thing God could do for you right now is to restore a wayward child or a wayward grandchild. For others, maybe the greatest thing God could do is rescue an addicted family member. Maybe salvage a marriage or mend a broken relationship or heal a hurt or supply a need. Or open a door of opportunity. What is the biggest thing God could do for you right now? Personally. And then let me ask you this. Corporately as a church, what's the biggest thing God could do for you? Whatever it is that's come to mind tonight, I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, that He can do the biggest thing that, that's come into your mind right now, and more, and more. And the one whom Paul said is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think is waiting to hear from you. And remember this, and I'm done. Anything God has ever done at any time, he can do now. Anything, listen, anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. And anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. If you believe the Bible tonight, say amen. amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and, and our eyes closed. I don't pretend that I would have taught you anything new about the subject of prayer tonight. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to just remind you that you serve a big God who is able, who is more than able to do exceeding, abundantly, above anything that we could 
ask, or even think. And I told you the story about my mom and dad getting saved, and I'm, I give God the glory for that. But I'm going to be honest with you. There were times when I didn't pray for them like I should have. There were times that when I did pray, it was just routine. I was just doing it because I knew I was supposed to. I guess I'd have to be honest and say in my heart, I, I had seen I had seen them sit in, 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 in a revival when they would come as my guest. I'd, I'd, seen, I'd seen my mom stand and, and weep and grab the front of the, the pew in front of her so many times without coming. I probably, if I'm honest, I probably just thought to myself, it, it's never going to happen. Maybe that's where some of you are tonight. You prayed for big things. But you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. And it still hadn't happened. And tonight, God has just reminded you, hey, we operate on my timetable, not yours. Your job is to ask. My job is to do. Your responsibility is to pray earnestly and fervently. The answer is up to me. And maybe tonight, God's just convicted you because you haven't prayed as earnestly and fervently as you once did. Can I just encourage you to come tonight? Whatever, whatever the biggest thing is God could do for you, whatever it is, would you just bring that before him again? Just bring it before him again and say, God, it's, it's been a while since I've really, really prayed like, like I'm praying to a God who is able. But God, I'm going to pray that way tonight. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for convicting me. God, I believe you can restore my grandson. I I believe that you can restore my granddaughter. I I, I believe that you can rescue my my addicted brother, my addicted mom, or my addicted dad. God, I believe that you can save. I believe you can save my child. I believe you can save my mom and dad. I believe that. And Lord, tonight I'm praying like I'm praying to a God who is able.